0: Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you'll visit the website, Johnson's Air Conditioning.com. Dot com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is NaplesIllustrated.com. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator, will be with us. Boo Mortensen, we'll find out what's new with Boo, always an entertaining and light part of the show. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government, and we'll visit with Phil Kirpin, the uh, president and CEO of American Commitment, about the follies of government-controlled medicine. It is May the 5th and on this day in during the French-American War, which went on from 1861 to 67, an outnumbered Mexican army defeated a powerful invading French force at Puebla, Mexico. The retreat of the French troops at the Battle of Puebla represented a great moral victory for the people of Mexico, symbolizing the country's ability to defend its sovereignty against a powerful foreign nation led by General Ignacio Zaragoza, excuse me, Zaragoza, an estimated 2,000 to 5,000 Mexicans fortified the town and prepared for the assault by the well-equipped French force. On the 5th of May or Cinco de Mayo, Lorenz gathered his army and began an attack from the north side of Puebla. The battle lasted from daybreak to early evening after Lorenz realized his superior French force was losing far more troops than the Mexicans. He completely withdrew his defeated army, thus the celebration of Cinco de de Mayo and Mexican pride. And by the way, there's a lot of great... uh, Establishments, Mexican Establishments, Tacos and tequila comes to mind. A restaurant uh, opening uh, yesterday. So there's a nice correlation between the opening of restaurants, 25% here on the Paradise Coast, and the opportunities to get some Mexican food today on Cinco de Mayo. I want to uh, start the show about Coach Don Shula. He passed away yesterday. Uh, He was 90. Uh, Of course, Shula Steakhouse is a real a great restaurant here on the Paradise Coast. He, he uh, coached the Dolphins for 26 years and won 257 games, including two Super Bowls, one being the only undefeated team of all time. And in 1973, he still stands as the all-time winningest coach in the NFL history with 328, 10 ahead of George Hallis, and 55 wins. Can you believe this? Ahead of Bill Belichick. 55 wins. That's That's a lot. Uh, he also coached the Baltimore Colts, and uh, I remember going to a practice in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, for the Baltimore Colts and watching him coach. He never raised his voice. He didn't have a, a whistle, but those big players, Steve Stonebreaker, was a member of the team, they complied with his every wish. It was an amazing thing to see, the control that he demonstrated. He wasn't uh, a gruff coach, but he was an extremely successful coach, great defensive coach. Uh, and took care of the details. The devil was in the details, according to Don Shula. Don Shula passed away yesterday at the age of 90. While global stocks gained at some U.S. Uh, states loosen the coronavirus lockdowns, markets were buoyed by optimism against the easing of restrictions on the economic activity in parts of the United States. Uh, although U.S. officials, as they always do, warn of new virus surges in sta- as states reopen, the president revised his death toll uh, prediction. It's up to, could reach 135,000 by early August, according to one forecast. Now, Michael Levitt, who teaches structural biology at Stanford School of Medicine, has been analyzing the COVID-19 outbreak from a statistical perspective ever since January. He says that despite all the predictions, the data show that the COVID-19 outbreak never actually grew exponentially, which means the draconian lockdown measures were most likely unnecessary. He's uh, won the 2013 Nobel Prize, so he knows what he's talking about. Said that the lockdowns ordered by the state governors were a complete overreaction to COVID-19 and may actually backfire. There's no doubt in my mind that uh, when we come to look back on this, the damage done by the lockdown will exceed any, any savings of lives by a huge factor, he concluded. Florida is among the U.S. states, of course, that have eased restrictions designed to stem uh, the spread of the new coronavirus. I listened to Governor DeSantis's press conference uh, yesterday afternoon at 5 o'clock. He focused primarily on solving the backup on the unemployment compensation. It's a big deal and apparently has people quite upset because they've been waiting for weeks to start this process. And uh, the technology is just not suitable and compatible with the demand at this point. So uh, we were listening intently. Of course, my, my wife Linda was wondering, when are we going to open up the hair salons? Big question on her mind. A lot of folks are concerned about it. Well, at restaurant dining rooms statewide, as they open this week at 25% capacity, a few in Naples are getting some extra disinfecting. Uh, this is courtesy of Pretty Prenny and her cohorts. NCH is using the Xenex LightStrike germ-zapping robots to disinfect seven different restaurants this week as a thank you for the meals the restaurants have donated to, uh, to NCH staff during the pandemic. This company, apparently, this this machine, it uh, it's kind of a strobe light, and it can kill the virus, if there is any, within two minutes, according to tests performed by the Texas Biomedical Research Institute. Uh, it's pretty impressive. It's a $106,000 piece of equipment, but it seems to me, if it only takes two minutes, why not have the restaurant industry groups get together, buy one of these things, and it would be a further reassurance for customers to come in that they... Coronavirus, if any, exists, is zapped. Uh, corona cases in Collier have increased to 653. Nine of the county's 22 deaths from coronavirus. 19 consist of either residents or staff of long-term care facilities. 22 of the deaths. 105 people have been hospitalized for coronavirus. 19, although many of them have now been uh, released from the hospital. So there's not 105 folks in the hospital. According to reported statistics, the actual number as of Friday, there's 65,000 deaths. Of course, Joe uh, Biden disputed that. He said on Morning Joe the other morning, on Monday morning, uh, Sunday morning, I guess it was, that 600,000 Americans have died from coronavirus. <laughs> over 600,000 dead. Many of them who are those who workers, those nurses, doctors. Some of them, he said. A Hot mic picked up a gasp from the host. But he continued, because they put themselves in a position to save other people's lives, protect the rest of the society, he said. And we had that number like 600 plus thousand people, he said, before the host Joe Scarborough interjected 60. 60, 60,000? Scarborough said. 60,000, Biden responded. Oop, I misspoke. (laughs) The 77-year-old Biden on Monday struggled to read off his own notes and lost his train of thought. Now, this is with being lobbed some softballs. So workers don't have to leave to work to get uh, to be fired to uh, when they get sick to be able to continue to live. Biden said as he read for the prepared notes, lost his place apparently. Poor old Joe. Anyhow, the idea that people stand six feet apart will uh, fix a pandemic and is and always has been silly. And this is according to a former Food and Drug Administration Commissioner, Dr. Scott Gottlieb. Uh, On CBS's Face the Nation on Sunday, he said social distancing as well as other mitigation measures imposed by governors don't appear to be working nearly as well as public health experts had projected. Uh, More than 370 workers tested positive at a Triumph food pork plant near St. Joseph, Missouri this past week. All of them were asymptomatic with the disease. This proves once again that the virus is much less dangerous. It's certainly contagious, but it's not as dangerous as experts were saying. 17% of the employees tested positive with no symptoms. is just one of the dozens of meatpacking plants and food processing facilities across the country that have seen outbreaks of the virus, forcing shutdowns and sparking concerns of possible food shortages. So, President Donald Trump suggested Sunday night on Fox News Town Hall that his administration will soon release conclusive evidence showing how the coronavirus originally leaked out of China's Wuhan Institute of Virology. I don't think there's any question about it, Trump responded when asked a question on whether China's actions allowed the pandemic to spread across the globe. He proceeded to tell host Brett Baer that the administration will be giving a strong report. On what we think happened, and I think will be very conclusive, the president has repeatedly claimed to have seen evidence that the virus leaked out of the research facility, and his latest comments come the same day that the Secretary of State Mark, Mike Pompeo maintained the administration has completed and compiled an extensive report on the virus's lab origins. We have said that the, from the beginning, this virus originated in Wuhan, China. We took a lot of grief for the, from the outset, he said, But I think the whole world can see it now, Pompeo said on ABC uh, Sunday morning. Remember, China has a history of infecting the world and they have a history of running substandard laboratories, he said. These aren't the first time that we have the the world exposed to viruses as a a result of failures in Chinese labs. Trump clarified Sunday night that he doesn't view the coronavirus as a malicious action from China. The White House is actively investigating ways to hold China financially accountable for its role in allowing the pandemic to spread across the globe. Officials did not respond when asked uh, when the president aforementioned uh, report will be publicly released. And then finally, in this segment, uh, scientists have discovered an antibody which prevents the coronavirus from infest- infecting human cells in groundbreaking research, uh, which could lead to the development of new treatments. This uh, I found this on Sky News, I think, which is an English publication. Irrespective, uh, because of research at the SARS coronavirus, scientists from Utrecht University in the Netherlands, as well as the Erasmus Medical Center and company at Harbor Biomed have identified a potential method of neutralizing COVID-19. So big news. Right now, again, the markets, uh, futures are up right now. Of course, they're down yesterday and ended up uh, up. The market ended up yesterday by just a few points, 30 points. We don't know where it's going to go today. Certainly a lot of volatility as uh, investors try and figure out what the heck is going on with financial markets and the economy. This segment of the show brought to you by Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest-established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with our uh, Senator, uh, state senator, Kathleen Pasadoma. She's also the Senate Majority Leader. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Mm-hmm.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show, here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting
1: Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food and a rockin' good time, Lulabee's diner's a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch, no Culture Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees. The goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps in the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to
0: the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. Uh, great season coming up uh, in uh, October, and I hope you go to Gulf Shore Playhouse and check it out, org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Phil Kirpin, the president and CEO of American Commitment. Right now we have with us Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Good morning.
1: Good morning, Kathleen. I hope you and your family are doing okay. How's no no virus in your family?
2: So far, so good. We're practicing all the right uh, CDC method, social districts, distancing, and, and I'm wearing masks because I have a, my dad's 97 and my mother's 95, and I'm their driver, chauffeur. And that kind of thing. So I, you know, I kind of put them in the back seat and wear my mask.
1: There you go. Well, good, good for you. Uh, and, and longevity in your family. That's great to hear.
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so That's true. Uh,
1: we listened to uh, the governor's press conference last night. I must admit, Linda wanted to listen to it because she wanted to find out if he was going to open up hairdressers. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> I uh, that's
2: probably next week.
1: <laughs> but he was focused primarily on unemployment compensation. It sounds like it's a real mess because of technology.
2: Yeah, it has been problematic from day one. You know, first of all, of course, um that's been a problem all around the country, but Florida seems to to have the worst of it and uh you know, we've got almost 2 million uh claims out there and the uh, some people haven't been paid uh since they filed in early March mm. and there's no excuse. Um, it's uh the system was never designed to um to handle that many people, my understanding is it was when it was uh, completed in like 2012 or whenever, it, um, it never was tested for more than just uh, small numbers uh, comparative to the numbers we have. Um, but that being said, you know, right now we're focused on getting people uh, there their Their money and uh, so there's a myriad of ways people can can apply now. They can, they 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 rebuilt the whole thing, uh, a weekend ago, uh-huh. and uh, then you can file paper and we're calling. I spent my staff and I spend all day every day, calling DEO and helping people fill out the forms, go online and and and, and the like.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a real mess. It sounds like the governor's doing everything. Apparently, he's gone staffing, up, bringing in thousands on a. All, all hands right. on deck in order to get the deck to, to get this thing taken care of but uh, right. it's uh, you know you know you know the other thing that caught my attention I hate government waste, waste as you know apparently we spent 77 million dollars on this computer system that I think it goes back to 2011 as I recall that would be under right. Ch- Charlie Chris's watch and uh, no
2: it, it actually was uh, um, I was in the house at the time it goes back to uh, Rick Scott was governor ah. um I I I was a little concerned when this first uh, came up, so I went back in my notes and uh, and what people don't um, I guess we budgeted that amount of money. That's what they requested. That's every uh, both Democrats and Republicans we all voted for the seventy-seven million dollars, and then it was contracted out by uh, Department of Economic Opportunity, and. Um, that's where the failing is between the department and the company they hired. Something went wrong. Uh, none of us in the legislature were aware of it, uh, uh-huh. but we are now.
1: Well, thanks for that clarification. I appreciate that because uh, it's a lot of money to have something that doesn't work. It takes us back to my memories of uh, Obamacare and the, uh, the federal, the state systems that were set up in order to have people uh, enroll in Obamacare. So, In any event, I'm glad that uh, you clarified that. So uh, what are your thoughts about the opening of restaurants, again, opened yesterday? I think that's important. Uh, We're slowly but surely opening up uh, Florida. What do you see, and what are your thoughts?
2: Well, so far, um, I I see Collier County, uh, and I drove around yesterday to see how things went. I didn't see a whole lot of uh, activity, so I think um, many restaurants and stores are going to take it slowly. Um, I do like the creative ideas that some jurisdictions have, and I know uh, in Cuyah County there's been some discussion about, for example, in Tampa they have allowed um, restaurants that have uh, parking lots adjacent to them and sidewalks to expand their outdoor seating. Uh, They've closed some uh, roadways so that the restaurants could – uh, expand their, their seating into the streets, even, so that they could accommodate more people. And and frankly, I think 3rd Street and 5th Avenue would be ideal mm-hmm. for this kind of activity. Um, and some of the strip centers around the county where there's sufficient parking where they can add, you know, dozen tables or so, because... Uh, twenty five percent of indoor capacity is really not that much. Yeah, um, and some of the restaurants won't open because it's just not worth it economically at twenty five percent.
1: Yeah, we have a, a reservation for tomorrow night. We asked for indoor seating, but I think you brought up an interesting point. I guess it's twenty five percent of indoor capacity, but uh, yes. our restaurants do they have unlimited capacity outdoors? Yes. I'm thinking, Well, that's they interesting. Do.
2: And The order is pretty clear, as long as there uh, is uh, six feet between diners. Mm -hmm. So if you have, um, uh, you know, the 25% is very small in in many restaurants, but outside, if you could expand onto sidewalks or streets even, as long as you keep six feet between diners, that should should, um, comply with the order. And then, of course, the waiters and the wait staff have to... um, um, be very careful, and, and I talk to constituents who own restaurants about what are the best practices. and The Florida Restaurant and Lodging Association has put out guidelines of best practices uh, using the CDC uh, guidelines. So I think I think everybody's very careful, very cognizant, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll have a uh, not. Uh, you know, it, it, we won't have the issues that they had, like, over in Miami-Dade,
1: that kind Yeah, of. well, it, I, I actually think that uh, from a competitive standpoint, businesses can really compete based on safety, health care and safety. And, you know, in other yeah. words, we're doing this, come to a restaurant, not only do we offer great food, but we offer... Offer this particular cleansing process or cleaning process, right. or so uh, right. you know. Look, business owners—they want to have their customers be safe. They want their employees to be safe. They, sure. you know, this is—it's not like the government has to make these decisions. We can all make good decisions about what to do based on the threat that we all face.
2: Well, you know, that's a good point, and and frankly, why is Collier County um, relatively low for? Um, Uh, incidents of COVID-19 because people very took seriously the social distancing uh, guidelines. They stayed home. They did not uh, violate the the rules. And, you know, and I, and I believe that our community does have a risk taking responsibility. The problem is there's some areas where they don't. Yeah. And so we have to be careful that we don't open ourselves up to, um, uh, problems that
1: are, that are, that migrate to us. Yeah, but you know, I just go full circle here. You've got uh, your aging parents right now in the back seat. You're wearing a mask in the front seat, <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, you're and why are you doing that? Well, because you're based on the circumstances you face right now. You're, you're, you're you exactly. want to take good care of your parents, and I think everybody has right. a concern for their loved ones. So, hey, you know, anyhow, I just get concerned when I see in Michigan and other places in Maine. Can you believe? <laughs> What's going on in May? They've got so few deaths or or even people hospitalized because of coronavirus, and uh, she's shutting down the state until God knows when. So anyhow, Kathleen. It's
2: a delicate balance. I would not want to be the governor of any state right now.
1: No, I can agree with that. There's a a lot of pressure both ways. Sitting on the razor's edge. Kathleen, I genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you. Have a great
1: day. You as well. Thank you, Kathleen. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Boo Mortensen. We'll find out what's new with Boo, that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, Blue Provence offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. During the governor's stay-at-home notice, Blue Provence is offering pickup curbside takeout options five nights a week, Tuesday through Saturday. To place an order, just call 261-8239-261. Tuesday through Saturday from 4 to 7 p.m. A 20% discount will be applied on all food orders during these unprecedented times. Compliment your order with amazing wines from the Blue Provence Retail Wine Store, offering amazing choice and value. Blue Provence Wine Store is open Monday to Saturday, 9 to 12 p.m. and has one of the most eclectic and fun wine cellars, offering 10% off cases. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence. French restaurant in the heart of Old Naples.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Great programs to help limit government and uh, watch government waste. I proudly serve on the board, and I hope you'll check out the website, The FGA. Dot org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now, it's time to find out what's new with Boo, Boo Mortson right here on the Paradise Coast. Boo, how are you doing?
3: Well, two words quarantine fatigue. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so, how are you? I think
3: s- the whole country is starting to get a little wonky.
1: It's true. I mean, uh, the, the governor of, Ma- of uh, Massachusetts said everybody's got to wear a mask all the time going outside. People are showing up at the state house and starting to protest. We've seen that in Michigan. I think the natives are getting restless.
3: I think they are, too. They are definitely uh, getting restless. I know in Wisconsin, and our governor shut down the state until May 26th, hmm. and they are the, they're trying to get together and say, let's not do it by state. Let's do it by county, mm-hmm. and uh, so they're rethinking the shutdown up there.
1: Yeah, and they should because, uh, and of course, there's a lot of evidence right now. People are saying, uh, you know, people that are—it's very contagious this virus. But apparently, many people are turning up getting the virus that are asymptomatic. It's, uh, it looks like it's the people that have compromised immune system that have systems that have the biggest problems. And uh, so, you know, maybe we should live with the risk and open up the economy.
3: I, I, I agree, but I don't know that that's going to happen. And then you see when they open up beaches, like they open up these big beaches in Texas, and people just flocked
4: yeah, yeah. to the
3: beaches. And then there was an uptick in vi- the virus, people that got it. So, I, you know, you just throw the dice and say, wear a mask, do your best.
1: Well, I think, and again, I've repeated this several times, but I think uh, let's give us some guidelines, open up the economy, and let people make their own decisions based on their own health and their own circumstances. Uh, you know, if you have a compromised immune system, get your family support and make sure that you can stay someplace where you're going to stay healthy. But if you're healthy and uh, get a good night's sleep, you know, your, your, all your uh, immune system and all your, everything is fine, just uh, go to work and uh yeah, take, take social distancing stay away wear a mask whatever you need to do in order to maintain your health and the health of others
3: are you going to go on a cruise
1: well it's funny you should ask we have uh, a couple scheduled one that is in uh the the end of january so i, I hope that one is not in any peril, but we're thinking. But we definitely, in fact, we've already have a, our tickets, the plane tickets, and everything to go to Rome in September for a 13-day cruise. that will go to Ephesus and uh, Israel and Greece and different locations. Really looking forward to that, but uh, I'm not sure it's a wise thing to do. I'm gonna. I'm thinking the cruise line will probably make the decision to cancel it before. What will help us make the decision?
3: Well, you know what? This is the conundrum that the cruise lines have, as I see it. Mm-hmm. You know, they've still got big cruise ships mm-hmm. that are locked out in sea mm-hmm. that are filled with crew members mm-hmm. that are not that are not allowed you know they're not allowed to disembark so if you've got crew members that are healthy and can't disembark like say in Fort Lauderdale how can they possibly think of reopening the cruise lines
1: it's a big issue. They
3: still got. A, they're still in a lockdown mode.
1: Yeah, but keep in mind, uh, cruise lines uh, have safety measures, health safety measures like none other. You may remember the uh, what was it called? The American, the Legion's disease. I forget. Mm-hmm. To think, Legionnaires. Uh, Legionnaires' disease. Thank you. So uh, they've had to live with that and deal with it. And if you go on a cruise ship, you're going to find all kinds of dispensers for stuff to rub on your hands and all over to make sure you're not carrying something you can't get on the ship unless you can demonstrate that you're healthy my point being is that it's you know they already have a kind of a safe environment anyhow so uh, the question is once you disembark if you go to let's say ephesus what's going to happen to your health there you know who knows
3: i don't know or if there's an outbreak while you're on the ship we may not see you for a couple months
1: (laughs) yeah could you imagine i would
3: pack extra clothing
1: well, that and extra boxes of Cheerios or something, because that, that doesn't sound too... You're, you're absolutely right about that. That's a great point. So We'll
3: see. All right, last question. Do you think Cuomo will replace Biden? Well, I'm assuming that they're going to do something with Biden. I'm not sure what.
1: Well, and you're probably referring to his bumbling... You know, his demonstration of uh, lack of mental capacity. Is that what you're thinking about? Yeah, That and, of course, the uh, The sexual assault assault problem that's uh, right now. (laughs) It's just unbelievable how the left is basically saying, well, yeah, we can acknowledge it probably happened. We're still going to support Biden, and uh, she's still got to prove her case. Unbelievable. Oh,
3: my heavens. What a fiasco. It's just a complete fiasco. I can't imagine what they're thinking, uh, the Democratic Party, and what they're going to do. Yeah. It's, uh, in, in Cuomo, my God, he's on TV more than Ellen DeGeneres is.
1: So, I mean, uh, he has disavowed any interest in, in becoming the president of the United oh, but States. They all
3: seem to say that.
1: Yeah, you, you know, great point, great point. Uh, I it, To me, it looks like uh, Biden is entertaining, you know, he's vetting vice presidential candidates. Michelle Obama's name comes up time and time again. It makes me wonder if perhaps... If he gets elected, which is such a long shot in my mind, but several polls have him running ahead of, of uh, President Trump, uh, which I dismiss. I think that's just absurd. But the point being, if he got elected, he would resign, and then Michelle Obama would uh, come aboard, become the president, and uh, then uh, Barack Obama, of course, would be pulling the strings in the background.
3: Well, what a fiasco that would be. <laughs> yeah. So, Holy Toledo! Don't even think like that.
1: I know. It, well, it's a, it's a, who knows? Because this is all so interesting right now. He is a very shaky candidate. I can't imagine him surviving the uh, the process. Uh, of, I can't either. Yeah,
3: I, I just can't. And God forbid what would happen when he got on a stage in a debate with Trump. I uh, mean, I, I don't, I don't think that would end well.
1: No, probably not. <laughs>
3: I mean, I actually kind of feel sorry for the guy.
1: I do, too. Again, uh, Boo Mortensen, that's always interesting to... Uh, Today
3: is National Teacher Appreciation, Teacher. National Foster Care, National Chipotle Day, National Hoagie Day, and National Astronaut Day.
1: All those things. That's a lot yep. to keep in mind. A uh, to celebrate. Well, Cinco de Mayo is, is, a, is an important day, too. Uh, that's right so uh, do you have any plans to celebrate Cinco de Mayo
3: well you can have plans but big deal
1: (laughs) restaurants are open you could go to a Mexican restaurant
3: well you know you could I I guess I have to think say I'm still a little wonky about it
1: yeah understood again Boo just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show thanks so much for joining us you bet All right, coming up we're going to visit with Seton Motley Seton is the founder and president of uh Less government. We're going to do that more right here on The Bob Harden Show on The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: As Southwest Florida is impacted by the coronavirus crisis, the organizations that provide relief and support to our community's most vulnerable population are finding their resources stretched. For 32 years, St. Matthew's House has provided food, shelter, and comfort to those struggling with poverty, food insecurity, and homelessness. St. Matthew's House is the only emergency homeless shelter in Kaya County, sheltering more than 300 men, women, and children every night and providing more than 500,000 meals each year to those in need. For those who have shelter but are food insecure, direct assistance is offered through the St. Matthew's House Food Pantry and Grocery Distribution. Donations of food, hygiene supplies, detergent, diapers, and monetary support are needed curbside drop-off is available at St. Matthew's House Main Thrift Store at 2601 Airport Road, South Naples. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization that does not solicit government funding. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org or call 239-774-0500. That's 774-0500. Global.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Phil Kirpin. Phil is the, oh my goodness, I think I just lost Seton Mountlin. I think he'll call back, though. I'm, there he is. Let's uh, see if we can get him back. Seton, is that you? Hello, Seton? Seaton, is that you?
5: Yes, can I, I had a technolo- technological glitch.
1: I, can I apologize. N- not not a worry. I was just introducing you. Seaton is the founder and president of Less Government. He's on the road right now, as we can hear. Had a technological... I'm uh,
5: pulling over. I'm stopping. <laughs> okay. We're in the gravel on the side of the road. No problem.
1: Anyhow, it's just great to have you on the show. Tell us about Less Government.
5: We just introduced a I, scope and Sarah, and government, and... It's getting worse with this stupid virus.
1: <laughs> it is. And your latest column, The Left, When You Can't Win, Blame and Break the System, maybe you can tell us about it.
5: Yeah, there's a lot of examples. I went into one uh, precursory example, which is, um, you know, the
1: have of
5: late when running for president lost the popular vote, uh, but won the Electoral College and won the presidency. That's what the Constitution calls for. Does the left, you know, try harder and swing states and sworn the Republicans? No. Let's break the system. Let's end the Electoral College and go to a popular vote, which was the Founding Fathers nightmare. It was a ter- it was a terrible idea then and it's a terrible idea now. But we're seeing a all over the place. Trump's economy was killing everything. It was it was the best in fifty years at least. So what did he do? Oh China we just shut down the whole damn thing. Yeah, they don't. You know, Bill Maher said this two years ago. I'm I'm willing to accept a recession if it means getting rid of Donald Trump. Well, yeah, of course he can. He gets a million dollars a year more to uh, do his TV show. The the average American can't afford this. So just, all these examples of the system is broken. When really, it's their ideas that are broken. They're not popular. They can't get them in through normal constitutional means. They end run it any way they can. They 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 damage. the just you know it's the old Vietnam line: they have to burn the village in order to save it. And you know, net neutrality is another example of this. They did this. Um, you know, they pushed net neutrality for ten years. It got zero traction. In 2010, 95 Democrat candidates for the House, signed, or House and Senate, I think, signed a pro net neutrality pledge. All ninety five lost. Um, zero for 95. Wow. And, you know, they even get to a point where in Obama's first two years, they had both houses and the White House, and they still can't pass it because it's a terrible idea. It's a terrible bill. So yeah. Obama and runs it and jams it through the FCC. Well, then Trump comes along. And by the way, Obama did it twice, uh, once in 2011 uh, or 2012 and again in 2015 because uh, the first one was overthrown by the courts, And then Trump comes in, and there are a bunch of court cases pending, but Trump says, forget all that, I'm just repealing, and I'm undoing it. And, of course, during all these processes, this is one of my little pet peeves in D.C., is every bureaucracy that you've never heard of starts writing new regulations, but in the interest of alleged transparency, they have a bureaucratic comment, period. Uh-huh. Uh What, you know where people can weigh in on the rules or the regulations they're about to promulgate. Well, they're not supposed to be promulgating regulations unless and until Congress writes a law first. Right. And, of course, we can lobby Congress all we want per the First Amendment. And we can unelect Congress if, if we lobby them. We don't like what they do. They run for office again. We can dump them. Right. These bureaucrats, with their comment periods, we can't do anything about them, right? And what's really interesting, of course, is it's a, it's the heads they win, tails we lose situation. Which is if they have a, if they have a comment period, if the comments come out uh, on the side of the of the regulation, well, darn it, we get the people have spoken, we're moving forward with the regulation. Yeah, and if they come out against the regulations. The bureaucrats don't care because they're not elected. They're not re- accountable to anybody. Right. And they push through the regulations anyway. We see this happen all over the bureaucracy time and time again. Great. Point. So right now, of course, Trump repealed net neutrality. Are they trying to persuade people that net neutrality is a good idea and thereby pass legislation that would, that would, that would um, acknowledge this popularity and, and enshrine it in law? No. They're not even compl- they're complaining about the comment period. They say the comment system is broken, which it is. Uh, the FCC's website was over overridden by comments, many of whom, by the way, were bots. And two years later, we still—we we admit we can't tell the difference between a fake bot comment and a real comment. Right. And I'd like to make two points on that, please. Yeah. One is the FCC's website is totally decrepit and broken, and the left wants to put them in charge of the internet. <laughs> and two. The 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 uh the, the fact that they can't do any of this, and the fact that this shows how stupid the commentary it is, and why are we lobbying bureaucrats when we should be lobbying Congress? Right. I just think the whole thing is a mess. And, of course, the left wants to blow up everything every time they don't get their way.
1: Right, great points, indeed. And, uh, you know, uh, as you've pointed out for years now on this show, uh, the... Uh, internet is a free market xanadu, and what this effort, this uh, net neutrality effort, is I- I- in a way, trying to get the government intervention into the internet. It's kind of like jumping in front of the parade. Now that's been a, in a free market enterprise for so long since 1993, they're trying to jump in front of the parade and uh, lead to a lot of number of things, including what happens with government intervention. It ends up to you. Could even end up with taxing the internet in ways that, that in fact, they're doing. That's right. They're taxing. It's the old French.
5: I, I forget what French person was. Where are those people going? I need to know, for either leader, and I must lead them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, uh, this of course can lead to a tax on the internet uh, because what the, if, if they put it under what's called Title Two? Right now, it's under Title One, which is an information service, which is a very lightly regulated uh, part of the. Code, uh, it's it's why it's done so well. If they move it under Title Two, which is a communication service, they can they can treat it. it they're treating it like a phone, yeah. a phone line, which of course, technologically, is very very stupid because it has nothing to do with a phone line. But two, because they tax the daylight out of phones. If they're regulating the internet like phones. They can tax the Internet on a phone. Well, and, I mean, and, on the Internet. You're, and
1: and you're further, right. furthermore, I, I just wonder what percentage of people that actually are on the Internet actually use some sort of a device that's connected to uh, to, to uh, lines, to cables. I mean, most people are using their phones and, and other devices.
5: But yeah, especially as uh, uh, um, you're discussing 5G coming, you're going to get a gig or two gigs of speed download per second, which, in case you don't know, that's really bad. Yeah. Um, and and yes it, it's again you 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 you're, you're, you're going to treat a cell phone like a landline which makes almost as much sense as treating a computer like a land you know a laptop or a yeah, desktop yeah. like a landline telephone it doesn't make any sense but again that's the, they they would treat it like an alligator if, if the alligator regulations were were thicker than the the internet regulations i mean that, that's that's what it boils down to.
1: Yes. They're
5: looking at the regulatory landscape and saying, okay, title One's is wider than title two. So we want title two. I mean, that's, that's basically all you're looking at here.
1: Well, it would be great actually to have this issue go away. I think the current, uh, FCC is doing a pretty good job, but, uh, we could get things can change, and if the landscape changes, we could end up with net neutrality, and that's uh, not a good thing. Seton Motley, you know, no, it's not the founder and president of Less Government. You can find out more by visiting lessgovernment.org, also on Facebook, Less Government. Seton, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. You're a good man, sir. Thank you very much. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh. Phil Kirpin, he is the president and CEO of America Commitment, a very interesting organization. We're gonna do that more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more
0: of the Bob Harden Show. Here on the Bob Hardin Broadcasting Network. Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's Roger to you by St. Matthew's House. I hope you'll go to stmatthewshouse.org and support them. They're doing great. I got an email from them. I thought they'd be asking for money. They said, how can we pray for you? Unbelievable. Again, taking care of the homeless and the uh, people that don't have enough food right here in Cuyahoga County. They need help. Stmatthewshouse.org. We have with us Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commitment. Phil, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: My pleasure. Tell us about old American Commitment.
4: Uh, we're a national uh, free market advocacy group. We work uh, really on all the fiscal, economic, and regulatory issues: taxes, spending, healthcare, energy, technology, policy, and we try to. Um, work on the issues where there the outcome is sort of in doubt where a little bit more citizen engagement and involvement can make the difference in a more free market direction and all of our stuff uh, is on the website americancommitment.org
1: terrific organization and again not a think tank not having a big strange and difficult ideas to understand, but real practical stuff. Really appreciate AmericanCommitment.org. So, Phil, uh, you've s- stepped up with this latest column p- addressing such important issues around government-controlled medicine. Maybe you can tell us about it.
4: Yeah, well, I've noticed uh, that a lot of liberals, uh, from Bernie Sanders and Vox down to you know even more typical Democrats, have uh, taken to saying... Uh, our virus response would have been so much better if we had a medicare for all type system, and our problem is that uh, you know there 's too much free markets in our health care in this country and I think that uh, you know first of all, if you look at how the single the, the three biggest total disaster meltdown countries in the world uh, Spain, Italy, and France, of course have single payer medicare for all type systems, and mm-hmm. France even has uh, the feature that Democrats want most, which is unlimited uh, Free Health care included for illegals they 're one of the only countries that has that, and you know the uh, those countries did very, very poorly, much worse than the United States. so just on its face, the idea that that 's a solution um, I, I think is, is strains credibility, but then you look at the two biggest disasters in my opinion of our response to the situation in the United States, and they were both really failures of government, uh, not failures of market uh, they were evidence we have too much government in healthcare, not too little, and the first of course. Was what happened with testing, and I think that uh, had we done a better job with testing early, we probably wouldn't have had any of these lockdowns right. uh, because we wouldn't have had the same level of panic of not knowing what was going on. And of course, you know, the the lockdowns have cost us multi trillions of dollars at this point. And the testing problem happened because the CDC and the FDA uh, thought that only the government could do it. So the FDA banned private testing, while the CDC developed their own test. The CDC test number one didn't work. And number two was contaminated with disease. So mm. if they had rolled it out, they might have made people sick while they were trying to test them with a test that wouldn't have been effective anyway for testing. Mm. Uh, that stalled us out by a couple weeks. Eventually, we said, you know what, the private sector can test. They gave out provisional approvals and they waived their rules, and and testing scaled up very, very, very rapidly once uh, the private sector was allowed to do it. So that was an example of government failure, uh, private sector success. And then what I think is the biggest failure in all of this by far, in my opinion. I don't think it's even going to be close by the time all the uh, facts and uh, data are tallied over the next several years. Uh, The Medicare memo that went out in mid-March, and this was a guidance document, so it's technically non-binding, but the way it works, when Medicare is your biggest customer, as it is for all the hospital systems in the country, Mm -hmm. when they send out a quote-unquote non-binding guidance document, everyone follows it immediately. And uh, so it it has the effect of being binding. And this was the memo they sent out in mid-March that said, uh, stop all non-essential, non-COVID medical procedures. Uh, And they had a very strange definition. You know, you you see the media use the term elective, elective procedures, elective surgeries. Well, they're not talking about plastic surgery. They're talking about basically everything except emergency Mm -hmm. procedures. And so even cancer surgeries, in many cases, were postponed or canceled. And, you know, when you start canceling something two weeks, two more weeks, two more weeks, it doesn't get done in a timely fashion, and people die, and screenings are not taking place, biopsies are not being processed, and the whole panic around the lockdowns and the shift from the from medical facilities, from doing all the things they usually do to basically only doing COVID, has created a panic where a lot of people are having heart attacks and strokes and not going to the hospital at all, yeah. either because they wrongly think that the ERs are full or because they think that uh, you know they, that if they go they'll catch this disease. And so, uh, we've seen a huge spike in uh, preventable deaths from all these other diseases as a consequence yeah. of yeah. that. Medicare memo going out and the really tragic part of this is in the vast majority of the country, basically everywhere except New York and the immediate surrounding states, the hospitals have been empty. Right. They're furloughing people, they're laying people off. They're in some cases closing permanently. And so we have this bizarre situation where because of this total miscalculation, and they did eventually withdraw the memo, but just about a week ago. And so some states still haven't even readjusted. Some have, fortunately. Uh, but you know we've got this situation where, in order to you know brace ourselves for this huge wave that never came of COVID patients, basically anywhere except New York, uh, we emptied the hospitals, we stopped doing vital medical care for all kinds of other conditions, and I firmly believe uh, that we're going to lose a lot more lives to that decision than we do to the virus itself over time, and that decision came from medicare right. it came from medicare and yet the liberals are saying you know medicare needs to have more power we need to have everyone in medicare that's the lesson of this so i i just think if you actually look at what's happened at these two massive mistakes um, you should be very, very wary of expanding the government role in health care. Uh, we really need to go in the opposite direction,
1: in my judgment. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I tell you, Phil, in fact, my, my closest friend is an orthopedic surgeon. He replaced both of my knees in 2006. He told me on Sunday morning on a bike ride that we were having that uh, he's got a backlog of 250 patients who need knee replacements, and apparently his assistant called one patient, told him that he's being moved up from a scheduled time in August to, some, to uh, tomorrow as, at the time, but that would have been Monday, and he cried. He was so grateful. So, you know, you can't... And, of course, uh, having your knees replaced, that's a matter of discomfort and pain. It's certainly not a matter of losing your life. But these other types of diseases, whether it might be... Uh, no matter what it might be, where you need hospital-related assistance, people are dying. They're getting worse. Uh, the conditions are getting worse. It's really a sad, sad thing. All in the interest of maintaining our good health.
4: Well, in the interest of, basically, computer models that were pretty clearly wrong. Yeah. So, you know, you know, we... You know, yeah, some places did better than others uh certainly uh and and Florida did pretty well i i your governor almost resisted doing the lockdown, but he sort of got uh sort of sort of strong armed into it but uh, he he did a very fine job overall, i think and uh yeah, he and, did you know but but you know. Your hospitals still all followed the Medicare guidance. Every single state did. Even the, you know, some states, the governors imposed it uh, by mandate, but even the states where they didn't, everyone followed that guidance because that's their biggest customer.
1: Yeah, you, and if you just think about it, uh, this is the only time in our history that I can think of where we've actually asked uh, people who are not sick, to, we've quarantined them, we've limited their behavior. <laughs> <laughs> in order to protect those that are sick, it's just uh, bizarre. That's and and that, quite frankly, in my view, is unconstitutional. There's no way that the Constitution would allow uh, uh, free people who've not committed a crime to uh, have to limit their own behavior. They should be able to make their own decisions.
4: You would certainly think so, uh, and I think you know this stuff has gone so far, and 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 unfortunately. Uh, a lot of these extreme measures have been somewhat popular because so many people are irrationally panicked right. and you know i've just been really disappointed in in so many of these political leaders who have not been leaders at all uh, they've been followers and stokers of the panic instead of dispelling it uh, and calming people down they've sort of said hey i can jump on board with this panic and i can uh, act as if I'm riding to the rescue and I can close everything and lock everything down and tell people that they're all going to die if they don't stay in their homes and then they'll look to me as sort of a wartime leader and I think a lot of these politicians have exploited that and I have to say that um your governor probably better than any other governor in the country has taken that head on he gave that tremendous speech a few days ago about how we need to stop fearing and we need to look at the facts and he showed the charts and uh, how none of the predictions of any of the models happened in Florida and you know it was nothing like New York and yeah. yet I I hope that we'll get some leadership from a lot more of these people where they don't just say they don't just feed into an irrational panic that's going on but rather they they calm things down which is really what we need in my judgment
1: Uh, i couldn't agree more and i'm proud of our governor and i did see that speech the only concern i had is the facts that he is considering not fear but facts came mostly from healthcare professionals and, and and I would say public health care uh, people who don't really practice medicine, and uh, very few comments from uh, the private sector and small business people. So I hope he will be more influenced by the need to open our economy because, to your point, we're going to see people uh, die of unintended consequences. Phil, how can we support your effort?
4: Uh, you can go to AmericanCommitment.org and hit the uh, Donate button. Also, the other group that I work with, I should have mentioned this before, uh, committee to Unleash Prosperity. The group I work with with Steve Moore and Art Laffer. We have a uh, report card that we did of all the governors, and we gave your governor an A. But you can see how we rated all of them on uh, the uh, Committee to Unleash Prosperity
1: website. Uh, what is the website, committee? Uh, how, oh, I guess we could all Google it, but do you know the website offhand?
4: I think it is it's Committee to Unleash that okay.
1: so one is .com. Okay. In any event, I hope our listeners will go to AmericanCommitment.org, AmericanCommitment.org. Phil, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Have a good one. You too as well. Thank you, Phil. Well, uh, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Always appreciate your feedback. I, I do uh, produce... Uh, a newsletter about the content of the show and what's coming up. If you'd like, to, if you're not on the list, you're not receiving it. Uh, you can send me an email at bobharden.com. Also, appreciate your comments about the show, Bob Harden at hotmail.com. Uh, Tomorrow, we're going to visit with Bob Levy, the chairman of the Cato Institute. He's also a constitutional scholar. We'll continue our discussion about Supreme Court cases since the New Deal that may have uh, subverted the Constitution and constitutional intent. We'll visit with uh, Andrew a professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Always appreciate his commentary as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or